We are privileged once more to be able to open the Word of God and to declare the truths that are contained in it. It's an amazing thing in the history of the world, the opportunity to be able to stand up and to speak God's truth uh, has always been met with a certain level of opposition. Uh, We are unique in the time of history to be able to openly, freely uh, declare exactly what God says. So today we're working our way through the first chapter of Luke. And Luke, one of the things that Luke is bringing to us is the reality that God works through regular, ordinary folks. God takes regular people and does extraordinary things. And this morning, I'd like us to take just a a moment and look at a verse that maybe you would tend to just kind of pass over. We'll probably get further than just this verse, by the way. But I want us to stop for a minute and actually think about this verse. Just kind of enter into the the narrative here. Enter into the story. Enter into Luke's account of how these things are coming to pass. And to stop and to maybe imagine just a little bit exactly how this verse worked. And it's verse 56. So Mary, Elizabeth, just quick recap here. Gabriel shows up to Zacharias, tells him that his wife is going to have a son. And of course, they're on in years, 60, 70, maybe even 80 years old. They're, they're older. And he can't speak. Comes home, indicates to his wife. I'm sure he you know, communicates enough to his wife that he's seen an angel and he's got time and he can get all that out and he does. And she does. She ends up getting pregnant. And of course, this is amazing, but she, by the fifth well, the, anyway, by the fourth month, she's gone into hiding. She's beginning to show, and it's like, okay, uh, I'm not answering all these questions. I'm an older lady. And so she, she goes into hiding, which means maybe no one even really knows she's pregnant. She just kind of disappears from the social scene. She just, where is she? Well, oh, we don't know. Gabriel then shows up and speaks to Mary and tells Mary that you are going to be visited by God and you are going to have a son And it's going to be the very son of God. Okay, so this happens. Mary sees the angel, talks to the angel. This event transpires. She ends up pregnant. And the angel says to her, oh, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. All right. Now, she is a young girl, probably 13, maybe 14 years old at, like, the top end of things. And she's now pregnant. As a virgin, how is this all going to go? Who in the world am I going to talk to? Who is going to even actually believe this? Well, I know who. My cousin, Elizabeth. So, verse 56. Mary goes down and visits Elizabeth and stays with her about three months. Now, why would she stay with her for three months? Well, This is the only person in the world who would probably believe her. This is the only person in the world that she can say to them, look, yes, I know I'm pregnant, but I'm I'm telling you, there was no guy. And Elizabeth is going to go, I absolutely believe you. I, too, have spoken to an angel. I, too, have had Gabriel speak to me. Here I am, well past the age of having kids. I, too, have a miracle baby. I got a miracle baby. You got a miracle baby. You know what? This is how God often works in our lives. God does, in fact, if we will open our eyes and look around, 
God will bring people into our lives who need to be there at the time we need them to be there. This is not just happenstance. Elizabeth and Mary are quite similar in their, in their events that are going on in their lives. Both of them are having miracle babies. Both of them are not sure exactly how to go about doing all of this. Elizabeth just goes into hiding. Mary packs up and just leaves. There's no indication, by the way, that she even tells Joseph. She just kind of, I, I got to go visit Elizabeth. Off she goes. She just hurries up and goes and visits Elizabeth. But the two of them, they have this bond. They have this unique situation that they are sharing with one another. This is how God works. If you've got something going on in your life, if you've, if you've got some difficult thing that's happening, if you, if you have something that you feel like you're all alone and that God has abandoned you and that God is not at work in your life, he is. Pray that God will open your eyes and show you the people or person who you can get together with. And you know what? They will understand. They will believe. They, they will be there for you. We, we don't have any record of what they actually said to one another, but we could imagine that they are supporting one another. They're talking to one another. So, so Mary says to Elizabeth, what, what, what did Gabriel actually tell? I, I mean, I talked to Gabriel too. So, so what did Gabriel tell your husband? Well, he said that I'm going to have a son who is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And he shouldn't drink any wine or any liquor. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit right from my womb. In fact, remember when you came through the door and, and you told me that, that you were having the Son of God, he literally leapt in my womb for joy. I mean, this is just the most amazing thing. My son, God has told me that my son is going to be instrumental in turning back the children of Israel to the Lord. Can you believe it? Yeah, actually, I can believe it. Mary is going to reply with a similar thing. Elizabeth is going to say, my son is going to be the forerunner to the very Messiah. Can you imagine after 400 years of God not saying anything, we've both seen an angel. Now, what, what did the angel tell you? What, what, what did the angel say to you? And Mary is going to say, well, the angel told me that I'm going to conceive in my womb and that I'm going to have a son that I should call Jesus. Your son's going to be John. My son's going to be Jesus. Both of us have sons that God has specifically named. Wow. I mean, God is really at work. Can you imagine God is at work in our lives? Who are we? Who are we to have angels talking to us and have God at work in our life? And, and they discuss the things that God has told them. They're building one another up. They're strengthening one another. There are going to be difficult days ahead for both of them. There are going to be hardships and trials. Uh, because of their sons, um, they're... They're both going to experience some challenges. Their sons are both pretty amazing guys. And they, as the moms of these sons, are going to be able to have to endure those things. And so God has put into their lives each other. They can talk to one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another. And remember that, well, Elizabeth is an older lady. I obviously have. Never had a baby. Uh, I've watched my wife, though, and 
I got to say, for my dear wife, each successive pregnancy was a little more challenging, just a little bit harder. Uh, I can't imagine a woman in her 60s, 70s, having a baby. Uh, I bet she's very happy here in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth month of pregnancy to have a young lady around to help her, which Mary's doing. Mary's there to provide help and to be there for, the, for Elizabeth. God provides. And, of course, when the moment comes, and she's there for a little while, and when the moment comes that uh, it's time for Elizabeth to actually have the baby on into the ninth month, it becomes clear at this point that Mary is probably, for anyone who's really paying attention, Mary's probably starting to show too. She, of course, is only engaged. She's not actually married. And this might, instead of being a help to Elizabeth, if she stays right until Elizabeth has the baby, she's probably going to be showing sufficiently that she can't really hide it. And that's probably going to cause issues all on its own. In fact, we'll get to her in just a second. We, we know it does. And so at this point, it's time to go. It, it's time to, uh, to just move on and to not become a distraction. Uh, we want Elizabeth to have this baby. We want Elizabeth and the baby to be the focal point of the attention and for everyone to be happy about the miracle that's going to occur. And we want the topic of the conversation to be Elizabeth and her baby and how great this is and the miracle of God, not... So did you see Mary? I think she was actually pregnant. You think Mary was, she's, well, she's not married yet, is she? She's just engaged. Okay, we don't want that to be the topic of conversation. So she moves on. Now, what we know is that when Mary gets back home, guys, if you're married, you, you, um, you've probably experienced some version of this, not necessarily the content of this conversation, but you know how it is, guys, when your wife look at you and say, we need to talk. Now, you single guys, you know, that might not, you know, but any married guy in the place, the minute you hear your wife look at you and say, we need to talk. Yeah, okay. Um, let me clear my schedule. And, um, well, you can imagine that Mary gets back and she goes to Joseph and says, we need to talk. Joseph, he's single. He hasn't figured this out yet. He's probably smiling. He's probably just, you know, sure, my, my intended to be here wants to talk. Isn't this great? You know, you've been gone for three months. I can, I, I've been wanting to talk to you too. This is going to be good. What? I'm pregnant. And can you just imagine, now I suspect that she said, I, I doubt she blurted that out. She probably started with, an angel came and spoke to me. Okay, and the angel told me that God was going to visit me, and, you know, and then she gets around to, oh, and by the way, I'm pregnant. You know, something tells me that when she came out with that, and she said that she was pregnant, you know, I, 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 I suspect it's going to be, you remember those old Charlie Brown cartoons? You know, and they'd be in school, and the teacher's talking, and all you hear is, wah, 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 wah. I suspect the minute Mary came out with, oh, by the way, and I'm pregnant, from that point on, that's all Joseph heard. I, I, I think he just, what? I, it doesn't matter what explanation she gave. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, yeah, wah, 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 wah. I, I think he never heard a word. 
this is devastating. This is, you can imagine him sitting around thinking, okay, how do I tell my parents? How do we, what about the wedding? How about the, how, what, what in the world is going on here? Why is all of this happening? You, and, and then she, you know, she can't even be truthful about it. She's got to come up with this whole angel thing, you know? She's got she to produce some, we know he doesn't believe her. He doesn't believe her. He, he loves her, clearly, and he's an honorable guy, and he, she seems so sincere. So, I mean, I'll try to <clears throat> do the divorce quietly, but uh, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to, we're just going to end this thing here. We're, I, uh, and I don't know. I guess you could try selling this whole angel thing to somebody else, but he's not really buying it. Now, I have a question for you, and I want you to think carefully about this. Why does God do this? Why does God work like this? The angel is going to appear to Joseph, and now that Mary's talked to him, the angel is going to tell Joseph, yes, yes, what Mary told you is exactly what happened. And it's going to be communicated to Joseph in a way in which he will completely understand and agree, and it will all be clear. And he will marry her without reservation and make sure that she stays a virgin until such time as the baby is actually born. And that's all good. So tell me, why exactly didn't the angel appear to him like when Mary left Elizabeth? So that when Mary walked through the door and said to Joseph, we need to talk, or whatever version of that she said, Joseph could just look at her and say, Mary, it's okay. God has spoken to me in a dream. I got the whole story. It's all good. I, I, I can't wait. It'll all be... What? But that's not what God does. That's not what God does. And it's important that we recognize that that isn't what God does. We have this expectation that somehow God is always going to just smooth the way. God is going to just make everything work out there. And, and you know what? You know what? God gives us trials. God gives us difficulties. Joseph is going to be faced with his wife giving him a story about how an angel appeared to her and how she is now pregnant by God himself. And he's going to be given an opportunity to believe that or not. God didn't have to give him that opportunity, you know. God could have just appeared to him long before the Mary showed up to tell him this. But God doesn't. When God is at work, sometimes he doesn't work like we expect him to work. Sometimes trials come into our lives that seem so unnecessary. They are necessary. Joseph is given an opportunity to exercise great faith, to believe his wife, to look at her and to say, this woman is a godly woman, which is why I'm marrying her. This woman is a woman who I don't believe would ever lie, who would never tell me a falsehood, particularly about these kinds of things. And so you know what? It's a pretty tough one, but I'm, I believe she is telling me the truth. Joseph could have responded like that. We, we don't know, right? We don't know exactly what great reward may have been waiting for Joseph had that situation gone like that. Um, but we do know that God deliberately set the situation up 
so that Joseph had that opportunity. Sometimes God deliberately puts trials into our life. Count on it. Expect it. Look at your life and look at the things which seem inexplicable. You're like, there's just no reason for this. There is a reason for this. God has allowed it. So that it's time to exercise faith. It's time to say, you know what, Lord? All things work together for good to those who love God. And neither tribulation, nor distress, nor persecution, or famine, or peril, or nakedness, or the sword, none of these things are going to come between me and the love of God. So whatever trial is in my life, whatever hardship is in my life, the difficulties that have come my way are from the hand of God. I should exercise faith. I should believe that God is doing what God says he's doing, which is loves me and cares for me and is taking care of me. And there may be difficulties and there may be hardships and there may be challenges in the midst of all of that, but that is what God is doing. He's doing it in everybody's life. He's doing it in your life and my life. I mean, you look at Mary, who spends the three months down there with Elizabeth, who is going to show back up, and while she's with Elizabeth, it's all going great. I mean, this is nothing but the glory of God and the grace of God and the majesty of God, and wowee, this is the mountaintop. We're sitting around talking about our son's futures and what God is going to be doing in our lives and how miraculous it is and how wonderful it is. All of that is great, and we're going to walk away from that, and we're going to head someplace else, and when we get to that other place, when she gets home, she's now going to have to look at Joseph. And she's going to have to tell him she's pregnant. And he's going to start talking about putting her away. He's going to start talking about divorce. And you're like, isn't God at work here? Absolutely. Absolutely God is at work here. And he's at work in both those situations. She has been prepared. She has had three months of nourishment, of encouragement, of great spiritual growth between her and Elizabeth to get ready for the moment when she has to go back. And it's just brief, right? It's just small. The angel's going to appear to Joseph and he's going to go, oh, okay, okay, okay. I get it. And then off we go. But the trial is still there for Mary and for Joseph. God deliberately puts things in our lives. Expect it. Get used to it. Anticipate it. Don't wonder where God's love went just because life is hard. God loved Mary. God loved Joseph. They raised his own son. But he still put this trial in their life. And there are more to come, by the way. There will be other trials that will also come to their life, and we'll see those shortly. They'll literally have to run for their life. But God will be with them in that. Okay, so now we, the story goes back to Elizabeth and her miracle baby. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And what do you know? She had a son. Why? Because God is faithful. Because when the angel came and said to Zacharias, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John, well, she didn't end up having a daughter after all. No, she, in fact, had a son. That's exactly what the angel said, and that's exactly what occurred. Why? Because God is always faithful. 
Oh, and by the way, when the son is born, then you're going to have great joy and gladness, and lots of folks are going to be thrilled at the birth. Now, her neighbors, verse 58, and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. Why? Because she's given birth to a son. Wow, the mercy of God, the amazing, here you are, you're this older, infertile couple who have been faithful to God your whole lives, and you didn't have any kids, which in that culture and society would have been a real big black mark on your life. You're supposed to have kids. This is supposed to be part of the covenantal blessing of the old covenant. That's part of how that all went. And so if you didn't have kids, it looked at you like, I don't know, maybe God has some kind of issue with you. But this is just like the guy born blind. And the disciples say to Jesus, so this guy born blind, was he, was he born blind because he's a sinner or his parents were a sinner? Or, I mean, there must have been some sin here. And Jesus says to them, he was born blind so that you would see the glory of God. Now let me give him sight. No sin. No sin on his part or his parents or anybody else. He was simply born blind so that Jesus could give him sight. Well, Zacharias and Elizabeth don't have any kids until their old age, not because they were sinners, but so that God could do this great miracle for them. And he does. And everybody gets together and says, this is fantastic. Wow, you've had a son. I mean, the musicians are playing. And, you know, there was a, a big planned celebration. This is how this all went. This is how the society and the culture in which they lived, this was how this occurred. You, you gave birth and great. This is great. Another Jewish boy has been born. They're praising God, they're happy, they see the work of God and the power of God and this miraculous, miraculous work of God. God is just marvelous. Hold on. So it happened about the eighth day, not about, sorry, it happened on the eighth day, which is what Moses commanded, that they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias. I mean, same him after his dad. Now, this occurred generally with... Uh, maybe some of the elders of the city or at least the leaders of the synagogue. This was a religious ceremony more than a medical ceremony. So we're going to get together and we're going to perform this circumcision and we're going to make sure that there are at least eight male witnesses so that everyone knows that this is a son of Abraham and there's not going to be any question about that. And this is the time at which we're finally going to name the child. And we've decided since we're the leaders, that we're going to call him Zacharias. Now, you would think you get to name your own kids, right? But, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And uh, after his father, and, and Elizabeth says, absolutely not. I mean, this is a really emphatic no. This is no. No, we're not naming him Zacharias. We're going to call him John. John? Why? Where'd you get that name from? Nobody around here is named John. There's many relatives are called John. We got the whole genealogy here. There's nobody in it named John. Where'd you get that name? Just dream that thing up. Um, no, an angel gave me that name, and uh, well, my husband gave my husband that name, and I don't care who you guys are, and I don't care who you think you represent, and I don't care what kind of authority you think you have around here. My husband had an angel tell him that his name was going to be John. And we're not naming him Zacharias. We're going to name him John. 
So they looked to Zacharias. You know, it's like, okay, we, we're not getting anywhere with her. So let's look to Zacharias. What do, you, what do you think? And it says that they made signs, which is interesting. That would indicate that Zacharias is not merely afflicted with the inability to speak. Apparently, he's afflicted with the inability to hear at the same time. He lost his hearing and his ability to speak. They're both gone because they have to kind of make, you know, hand signals, signs. What do you want him named, you know? What, what, what do you want to call him? However in the world they got around to trying to communicate that. And so he asked for a, a writing tablet. Give me a writing tablet. And he writes, his name is John. Probably in the Greek it would have been John is his name. But nonetheless, his name is John. And they are all astonished. Now, haven't you guys figured out yet God is at work? Haven't you figured out that this is, this is a miraculous birth? This is a miraculous baby. Remember, Sarai couldn't have any kids, and then God intervened, and suddenly they had Isaac. And Isaac had to pray for Rebecca to have kids. And Rachel couldn't have any kids. I mean, you know, you have a long history here of God having to intervene in miraculous, marvelous, wonderful things. The power of God being brought about in these kinds of events. So why are you astonished? You should expect something here. But somehow when God is actually at work, it's, everyone's just kind of amazed. that God, Wow, God's actually working. Yeah, God is actually working. So they're all astonished. Of course, they haven't seen anything yet. They, he no sooner writes, Zacharias, that his, his name is John, and his mouth is open, and he can suddenly speak, and his tongue is loosed, and he begins to speak in praise of God. Can you imagine? He hasn't said a word in nine, maybe ten months, and funny he can talk. I mean, you heard the one about the guy who, who went into the monastery, right? And he took a vow of silence. And because he had the vow of silence, he could only speak two words every five years. So he goes in, he doesn't say anything. Five years go by, and the leader of the monastery calls him in and says, right, you get to say two words. You know, what, do you, what do you get to say? He says, room, cold. Hmm. So he goes back out, you know, spends another five years, and comes back in five years later. So, all right, here's your two words. What do you got? Bed, hard. Goes back out, spends another five years, never says another thing, comes back in, he says, all right, here's your third shot at it. What are you going to say? He says, I quit. I said, well, I'm not surprised. You've been here for 15 years and you haven't done anything but complain the whole time. I don't know about you, but if God caused me to not be able to say anything for nine or ten months, you know, by the time you finally got around to actually being able to say something, what exactly might you say? And you might not say something good about God, right? You might actually complain after 10 months of not being able to say anything. You might voice how mad you are at God for not being able to let you communicate and to say what you've wanted to say all of this time. And who knows what kind of attitude you may or may not have and what, what kind of anger or bitterness, or who knows what men have grown in your heart over the last nine, ten months. Not Zacharias. This guy has just been waiting for the moment that he can finally tell everyone what God is doing in his life. And even though he can't speak, and I'm sure there are moments of frustration, the fact is that when God 
finally loosens his tongue, he just speaks the praises of God. He just, he just can't say enough about what God... I saw an angel, Gabriel, and you can just, you can just imagine. He just goes through the whole thing, and this is finally his chance to actually tell him. And he told me I'd have a son, and here's my son, and isn't this great? You imagine him holding John up, you know. I mean, this is my boy. You know, it's wowie. Off he goes. Now, how does everyone react to this? I mean, Zacharias finally gets his mouth open and gets to tell everyone that he saw an angel while he was serving in the temple and that it's a miraculous birth and that the angel told him what to name him and to name him John. You would think everyone there would go, wow, we are in the midst of the work of God, which they do, but they also, verse 65, fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters are being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And who heard them kept them in mind saying, I wonder what then this child will turn out to be. Because the hand of the Lord is certainly with him. If you know your Old Testament at all, if you've paid attention to anything that's gone on in your Old Testament, the very fact that God has sent a prophet among us does make you a little nervous. You say to yourself, I... I wonder exactly what God is up to here. What is God going to do? What is this child going to grow up? And what exactly is he going to say to us? I mean, how is this all going to go? Because, you know, we're comfortable. Our our lives may not be the greatest, but, you know, things are going along fine. Things are, we, we, we get the calculations here. Romans are in charge. We're subjugated to them. Life is not as good as it could be, but now God is at work. How's that going to go? I mean, exactly what is God going to be doing? This is kind of uncomfortable. You know, the, we've always done it this way. We're kind of in a rut, and we're happy to be in our rut. We actually want to be in our rut. We like our rut. Our rut is comfortable. We know what's supposed to happen, but if God is actually sending some prophet, and the prophet is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, and God is actually starting to work, and God is actually getting stuff done. You know, this could, be, this could be a little uncomfortable. We could be forced to get out of our rut. We could suddenly be challenged to do things we've never done before and to think in ways we've never thought before and to take actions that we've never taken before. God is at work, and there's going to be change, and we're not sure we want change. In fact, we're a little fearful of change. We're a little fearful of doing what God wants us to do and acting how God wants us to act. This is a little uncomfortable. This is kind of like Balaam and the donkey, right? Here Balaam is just riding along on his donkey because he always rides along on his donkey, and this is his donkey, and you know, and suddenly my donkey is not going where I want him to go. Go this no, I'm not going. And next thing you know, my donkey is running my leg into the wall. It's like, what is wrong with you? And he's mad, and he gets a stick out, and he starts wailing on the donkey. And finally, God opens the donkey's mouth up, and he's like, God is at work here. Don't you understand? God is at work here. There's an angel standing right there with a sword in his hand. And if I keep going, he's going to kill probably both of us. So I'm not going. Oh. And Balaam's eyes are opened and sees the angel of God standing there. God is at work. Things are going to change. This, this is how God works. He shows up, things begin to change. It's one of the reasons why we're a little uncomfortable really studying the Word of God, 
really studying the passages and, and saying, okay, how do I live by what this book says? How do I truly embrace it? Not just outwardly, but inwardly, to my heart. How do I do what God genuinely desires me to do? How do I become that person? That's tough. It's going to be a hard thing. It's going to require change. We're going to have to put off our old man and put on our new man. We're going to have to be new people. We're going to have to form new relationships and new friendships, and we're going to have to be new people. And there are going to be challenges and trials that God is going to put in our lives. We have to embrace all of this. We have to embrace this. This is what this passage is trying to present to us. Look, God is at work. Change is coming. Things are going to be difficult. There will be hardship, but when it's all done, God is going to do this most amazing work. Luke is laying the foundation for our salvation. Jesus is going to come, and John is going to declare he's the Messiah, and Jesus is going to die for us. But the road there is going to be, in some ways, quite miraculous, in other ways, quite natural. God is going to bring people into our lives to help us get through that, God is going to give us opportunities to act in faith. And God is going to give us the power we need to do what he wants us to do. Anyone who trusts God, anyone who says, okay, Lord, I'm at my wit's end here. I really, (laughs) I need help. You know what? God helps. That's what God does. God is in the business of helping us when we come to him. And all of the people in this account, Zacharias and Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, God is at work right in the midst of their trials and in the midst of great blessings. God is in the work in our lives. We have to trust him. Study this book. Study this word. Determine to be the person that God wants you to be. Don't neglect it. And just watch. Look in your life and say, okay, what trials and challenges am I facing? And what is God going to do? And how can I be the person God wants me to be? That's what God is doing. Look for it. Pray about it. Be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this account of Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias and John's birth and all the folks and how they react. And Lord, we see your hand in the midst of all of it. So Lord, may we see your hand in our lives. May we look for your hand in the events and the circumstances and the challenges that we face. And may we face them with great faith and great trust and great belief that you are at work in our lives too. Help us to trust you and to serve you and to do right. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.